0: Hallelujah. That's us live. Good morning. Welcome to the service. I've got a very short announcement to make. The guys have heard it already, but they want me to do it again. Um, if you're interested in our work in India, in Karamuru, we've got a Zoom meeting on Friday nights for current supporters and partners, but also anybody who might be interested in supporting us in the future. If you go on to the... Friends of MGF India Facebook page. If you're a member on that, you'll see the link or go on my Facebook page or get in touch with me and I'll fire you the link. Sorry, my wife is pointing at me. I will put a link in this podcast. Can you do that after the podcast finished? I'm looking I'm looking at my IT experts. Yes, yeah. Okay. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah I forgot again it's at 7.30 on Friday thank you, amen hallelujah, okay that's done, let's pray, Father I thank you that we've been in here in this place this morning as part of your local church, thank you that we've come together and that we have come together and worshipped your holy name thank you that we've also been able to Gather together and remember Irene and be thankful for her life. But thank you, Father. Now it's time for us to gather around your words. Hallelujah. Gather around your words and plants some some that was me. She, she she went on to write a comment and put in that, didn't she? Yes. Bless her. Hallelujah. Let's start again. Hallelujah. In you come. <laughs> we thank you. Carry on, church, Sam, if you've never been here before. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that we can now gather around this word and plant some seeds in our hearts. Thank you that, these, that the growth of these seeds are what will produce fruit in our life. And thank you that if we gain understanding about these seeds, that seeds will not be stolen. So we speak our understanding in accordance with your word, understanding so the seeds will germinate, grow and produce fruits in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. I did try to just kind of go through that and then I realized it was my voice. I was like, what is happening there? Anyway, hallelujah, turn to John 12. Yes, we've got out of John 11. We're on to John 12, but I'm not going very far this week. I was sitting there this morning, thinking about a little bit about the sermon, and I remembered back to when we were in Pine Tree, and we had a lovely family that came for a wee while. I think they were called Miriam and Alan, and they had two young lads, uh, Blake. One of them was in the army, and one was in the the RAF. Blake and anyway, but one of those young lads came up to me one day after I would preached and said, Vic, I have never heard a minister preach for an hour on one word. He said, that was extraordinary. Never saw them again, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he came to mind, because I think I'm gonna impress him today. Because I'm preaching, the sermon is built around one word. And that word is but. So, with one T, Carl. <laughs> so I'm working my way through the book of John. Um, and it's, it's always seemed to have been my favorite gospel. I don't know if, I, uh, well, nuns will remember. Stuart and might remember. Polly might remember. The first series I ever preached in a church was when David Weaves went away to America or somewhere. And I preached a series on the gospel of John got one person nodding their heads. Thank you, Corrine. Even my wife can't remember that. But that was the first bit of scripture I studied in a series and started me all off. And I studied, I studied John in this theological course I did at the time. And, I, and I've loved it ever since, but I'm loving it even more now when I'm looking at it in this new context, this different context, this context of Jesus having come to end religion, to do away with religion, and to replace it with a relationship. So my plan on Monday was to preach uh, John 12, 1 to 9. So we'll read that. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odour of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. You know, people say Jesus was poor, but he had a treasurer. There you go. Uh, then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always she have with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might, that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead, excuse me. Uh, A lot in John, when we study the the Gospel of John, a lot of what John writes about is unique, but this accounts not. We also see this uh, in other Gospels. So let's turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26 and verse six. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, and that's, that's important, it's in the house of Simon. Well, John doesn't mention that, but it's important. There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this anointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And then Jesus says, much the same as he said in the Gospel of John. And it's also got it in Mark 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box. And we get the same version of what Matthew said. (laughs) But surprise, surprise, I like the version in John best. Uh, Obviously, you may say that. But when I was reading this, and it's before I get to the word but, when I was reading this, there's one big difference in John's account compared to Matthew and Mark. Can you see the difference that John the little but a beautiful detail that John puts in compared to Matthew and Mark? He names her. He names her. And Matthew and Mark, next week it's the here. In Matthew and Mark, he just says a woman, but John, he names Mary. So I see this as being a more personal account and fits into this whole context that I'm trying to get to about relationship, showing what I believe. But By looking at other scriptures, I believe how intimate an intimate relationship Jesus was with Mary. And, of course, with Martha uh, and Lazarus, her sister and brother. It seems Jesus had a close relationship with this family. And John notes that as he is inspired to write his gospel. Thinking about relationship as well. I also love that it was in someone else's house. Again, this talks to me of relationships. John doesn't mention this but Matthew and Mark do. Uh, it's in the home of Simon the leper. I think that probably should have been Simon the ex-leper. <laughs> but you're not supposed to add things to scripture, are you? So Simon, who was, was a leper. And interesting, Martha was serving again. But, you know, she doesn't kick off this time where her sister like she did. Um, the last time, Martha was serving, and what that looks to me is that the, the followers of Jesus at this time were like just one big family, in and out of each other's homes, you know, helping out with the cooking and serving. So they're in Simon's home, but Mary, sorry, Martha is the one doing the serving. Not her house, not her kitchen, but she's in there serving. I, I just sense in this scene a group of believers coming together, Caring and sharing. A bit like Acts 2.42, you know, when they're all together, constantly doing things together. A church of believers in unity, sharing and caring for each other. People in relationship with each other, but more importantly, in relationship with Jesus. This is what this whole scene is. The picture that it's painting for me, it's all about relationship. And as I say, I wanted, to, I wanted to get into the anointing, the anointment, and the hair, and all that, because it's, oh, it's going to be really good. But I couldn't get past the first two verses. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. John really pointing the finger to Lazarus, putting the light on Lazarus. Why? You know, the one that was raised from the dead. Here he is sitting at the table. Why is John making such a big point of this? It's because he's actually not pointing at Lazarus. He's pointing at Jesus. Here he is sitting at the table only because of Jesus and his intervention. Only because Jesus went to the tomb. Jesus came into the situation and made a difference. Without Jesus, Lazarus would not have been there. Yeah, I agree. And I was thinking, well, what would life have been like for them? For all of them without Jesus. Mary and Martha would have been in grief, would have been in mourning. Lazarus would have been dead and buried. The disciples would likely have been really confused. What's all this about? He wouldn't go and heal him and he's one of his best mates. What's all that about? Why, after all the miracles that we've seen him do, why did he leave him to die? One of his friends. There would have been doom and gloom in that place. Without Jesus. But instead, I see them at a table and there's a mood of celebration and gratitude. Amen. See, that's the difference Jesus makes. Without Jesus, doom and gloom. With Jesus, you know, even in the most horrendous situations, there can be joy and thankfulness and celebration. Because we have hope with Jesus. And that made me ponder, you know, what would life be like for us without Jesus? And I made the mistake of thinking, oh, what about me? What would life be like for me if my life had not been impacted by Jesus? And I was thinking how my career was was so important, and I was thinking I would probably be some super-duper high flyer and Diageo or some other big whiskey company. Probably not married. Oh, she's shaking her head. Sorry, sorry. Definitely not married. Thanks for that affirmation there, Dalla. Uh, probably not in relationship with my children and grandchildren. I saw a Facebook uh, video recently and I think it was Jordan Peterson asked this guy, what's your, what's your definition of success? And this dude, probably about my age, he had a little bit of gray hair, and he was sitting in a chair. And he said, what, what's your definition of success? And he said, my definition of success is at my age, my adult children want to be with me. So, I, you know, I, I can say, because of my relationship with Jesus, honestly say that, I am in a fantastic relationship with my children. I probably wouldn't be if I hadn't met Jesus, probably wouldn't be in a relationship with my granddaughter. You know, Carl's going to go, woohoo, I'd definitely not be pastor here. You know, poor Carl, she's sitting in the front. Um, Life would be so different. Relationship with Jesus changed my life, just the way it changed the life of Lazarus. And I, you know, I was thinking of that picture. I am so glad that I am now like Lazarus, and I am seated at the table with Jesus Christ, and every single one of you is too if you're born again but, there, but I was reading that and reading that and pondering it, and there was this one word that was bothering me it kept jumping out at me, and it was the word but so so i kind of I, I, I narrowed it down and if you've got a word back, you've got, now I don't know the grammar in the English, I can't explain this really well, but you've got someone before it and someone after it. Yes? So it said, Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with Jesus. That kind of implies to me that, that John's saying something important here, something, something different. What is it saying? It's saying, Martha was serving, but Lazarus was not. Would you agree? If there's, the, if there's that thing in front of the but, I can't explain this well. English, I scraped English. I mean, yeah. Because it says Martha was serving, but, that implies that Lazarus was not. Does it imply that people expected him to, should he have been serving or whatever? I don't know. But Martha was serving, Lazarus was not. And I was pondering this just before we did communion yesterday. Uh, And I remember I was just reaching for the wafer biscuits. I'd got my port. I was reaching for the wafer biscuits. And I had this light bulb moment. And I heard this phrase in my head. Now. I don't know if it was me speaking to myself or if it was the Lord speaking to me, but I definitely felt from or off the Lord. He said, I've tried it? why is it saying that Lazarus wasn't working and what's this telling us? And I felt the Lord say to me, You were born again to rest, not to work. I said, well, what's that got to do with me? And what's that got to do with Lazarus? Back to the desk. The resurrection of Lazarus is a picture of our born-again experience. Lazarus was dead in the darkness of the tomb, but Jesus raised him from the dead, took him out of that darkness and into the light of the day. Yes? That reminded me of Colossians 1.13, which talks about what happened to us through Jesus. Talking about God, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. If we are translated from darkness, we're taken into light. So that reminded me of that. See, when we are saved, we are translated. That word means taken or removed. Taken from darkness, removed from darkness, placed in the light. Taken from death, removed from death, placed into life. And that is through Jesus. And that's, so that our born again experience, the picture of that is Lazarus coming out of the tomb. And that's when I realized that God was said to me, you were born again to rest with me, not to work. Because you'll see Lazarus, he wasn't just sitting at the table. The word says he was sitting at the table with Jesus You were born again to rest with me, not to work. Lazarus was taken from death to life, darkness to light. And now we see him sitting at the table while others are working. Now think about what it meant in that culture to be sitting at a table for a meal. Okay, It is not this. Where's my trifle? It's not, it's not that. You're not sitting at a table. Should I, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get up again if I show you. So this is sitting at a table. Hi Sam. This is sitting at a table. I look relaxed, I'm enjoying it. My feet, my grapes. Hopefully, they've just um, killed a wee goat. Got a bit of meat. Enjoying my feta cheese and my grapes, and I don't like olives. But anyway, so sitting at, that's what it means to be sitting at the table. They would have been reclining at a low table. Lying on their sides, resting on one arm, a very relaxed position. Now, you know I love my Greek. I, I think this is, this is a fantastic Greek description. I love this. Um, the Greek word is actually for sitting at a table. So it's not for sitting, not at. The word itself means sitting at a table. Uh, I did have the word. Sunanakimahi and it comes from two root words. Listen to this. The first word means in union or together with. And the second, but we'll go for the second definition. The second one means to recline as a corpse or at a meal as a guest. So we'll go for the second definition. I know it's like, first means union or together with, second, recline at a meal as a guest. What is this saying? It's saying Lazarus was relaxed and reclined in the company of Jesus. And that's a picture of us. Because Lazarus coming out of the tomb is a picture of our salvation. What he did afterwards is a picture of us. It's a picture of us, now that we've been saved, relaxed and reclining in the company of Jesus. He was dead. Now he is relaxed and resting in the company of Jesus. And that, yeah, is a picture of us. We were dead in our sin nature. We were in darkness. Now we've been saved as a gift of grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And what is our position now? It should be relaxed. It should be reclined in the company of Jesus. Oh, but what about all the works we've got to do, Vic? Yes, what about all the works we've got to do? You know where I'm going next, John 6, 28 and 29. They said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Believing in Jesus, being with Jesus, that's it. What other works we need to do, he was asked. None, he replies, other than believe in me. Now is Jesus saying, do nothing? No. After this, he sent out disciples. He expected them to heal. He expected them to teach. He expected them to baptize. But that came out of believing in him, of having spent time with him, of loving him, of being relaxed and refined with him. Realization of what he was to them. And that's a picture for us too. That's true for us too. Am I saying that as we recline and relax with Jesus, we do nothing? No, that's, that is not what I'm saying. However, I'm saying that the works that we do do, are not, that's not what we have to do. It comes out of our love for Jesus. Religion tells you that you have to do things. And what's John all about? The end of religion. Religion says, work, 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 and God will love you. Religion says, pray and tithe and fast, and God will consider blessing you. That's what religion tells us. Work, work, work to receive from God. But that's not the truth, not under the new covenant. Not now that we're in a relationship with Jesus. That is religion, that is a religious mindset. And Jesus came to destroy that. And we now have relationship. And we do things out of relationship. We are in relationship with Jesus. We know his love. We understand what he's done for us. You you could say we are reclined and relaxed and resting in his presence. And out of that, out of that position, we give up our resources to the church and good works. We feed the orphans and the widows. We love other people. We share what we have. We do works of righteousness and not of the law. But it all comes out of that knowing you're in that position, at that table, in the company of Jesus Christ. And that is what the world needs to see. The fruit of his love. The fruit of his finished work. Works of righteousness. Coming from that position of rest. They don't need to see religion and works of the law. They need to see works of righteousness. How can you say that, Vic? Well, look at John twelve nine. I'm kind of jumping over. I'll do the anointing next week, but John twelve nine is really interesting. It says, "Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead." This. And I'll finish with this verse and come back to Mary in the anointing next week. But this is a super verse to look into and, uh, and, and, and delve into. So Lazarus was alive, but he had been dead, raised from the dead by Jesus, now in relationship with Jesus, resting with and in Jesus. And people came to see that. What are people coming to see? The fruits of what Jesus has done. The fruits of what Jesus has done in people's lives. Yes, some of them came to see Jesus, but others wanted to see Lazarus. Lazarus. What's that saying to us? Some people want to see the results of a relationship with Jesus first, before they would commit themselves in a relationship with Jesus. They want to see the fruits in others first. And if what they see is religion and rules and regulations, and do's and don'ts and judgmental attitudes that will repel them. But if what they see is healing and abundance and joy and peace and love and acceptance, that will attract. Brothers and sisters, people are watching us to see what the fruit of our relationship with Jesus is. Engaging to see if it is worth it. Looking to see if we are authentic with integrity or hypocrites. He's saying, Well, how how do you know that, Vic? Because that that used to be me watching them. Because I knew they were all hypocrites. Well, they weren't. But that's what I had. I knew they were all talking rot, talking nonsense. So I was watching them, not to see if I had a relationship with Jesus, that came later, but to rip them apart. And I saw hypocrites. I saw legalists. And I saw people that I didn't respect. But you know what? I saw others. I saw lots of them. People of integrity and love and compassion and grace. And those people attracted me to the church. Now they kicked lumps out of me on the football pitch. But they attracted me to church. One type attracts, one type repels. Our job, this is our job, is to recline and relax and rest with Jesus. Recline, as it were, at his table with him. Now, I imagine having a meal with Jesus was not just about eating food. I imagine there was a fair bit of teaching and revelation and instruction going on. So when we are reclining with Jesus, it's not just to eat off his table, although that's bountiful and it's great, and there's healing and provision and abundance and prosperity, but it's also to learn off him and learn from him, to gain an understanding about him, as we say, to renew our minds to the truth. If we do that, you know, renewing our minds, of course, along with healing and raising people from the dead, for example, we will attract people and attention for him, and remember it is for him, and not for us. it is for him. He did many signs and wonders on this earth, didn't he, and he told us to do the same, yes, yes. Uh, and indeed, the Word says, as a group, we should be doing more, or we can do more. Because he, when he was on the earth and, one, and flesh, he was one man. We've got loads in here. If we started doing what Jesus did, we'd be doing about 15 times the amount of what he did. Mm, one or two. We should do more. And there's a reason for those signs and wonders that Jesus did, and then that we should follow and do. it says in John 20, verse 30, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. (coughs) Signs and wonders pointing to Jesus Christ, who he was, who he is, and what he's done. Now, yes, these verses, that's in the context of Jesus, but we were told to do signs and wonders, so this verse is for us as well. We're told to do the same. We're told to do signs and wonders. Now, as a pastor, teacher of the word, I believe I shouldn't be telling you to go out and do signs and wonders. What I should be telling you to do is recline, relax, and rest with Jesus Christ. And out of that resting with Jesus Christ, taking the good things from his table, amen, out of that, signs and wonders will come and point to Jesus. People looked at Lazarus and would have known it was because of Jesus. They wouldn't just be saying, oh, there's Lazarus, he was raised from the dead. Oh, there's Lazarus, Jesus raised him from the dead. People wanted to see the results of Jesus. And what a result. Lazarus was. Walking, breathing, eating, when he should have been rotting in the tomb. But he wasn't. We can do the same. We can show the results of Jesus Christ if we know him, if we believe in him, if we trust him, if we understand him. And I'm coming back to that word again, and that comes through relationship. Amen. I'm going to ask you some questions to finish. You don't need to shout yes. Okay, I'll assume the answers. Do you want more fruit in your life? Cultivate your relationship with Jesus. Do you want to display signs and wonders? Cultivate your relationship with Jesus. Do you want to make converts and disciples? Who Jesus never told us to make converts, actually. He told us to make disciples. But you need to, do, you need to convert first before you make a disciple. So do you want to make converts and disciples? I know you do. Cultivate your relationship with Jesus. Do you want your ministry to flourish? We all have a ministry. you want your ministry to flourish? Cultivate your relationship with Jesus. Your job now is to dine with Jesus Christ recline at his table, rest in his presence, and and see what flows from that. Amen.